Good morning. I'll be reading from Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was climbing, or coming that way. Sorry, it's a little hard to keep this controlled. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, has he gone to, the guest, gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man, man has come to seek and to save the lost. These are the words of the Lord. Well, it's, it's said that the spirit is in the wind, amen? So you may be seated in his presence in this wind. And I think the, uh, the, the, the wind just blew away my notes on an electronic iPad. So. Well, it is so good, Grace City, to be back, and it's so good to see your faces here live. It's great to know that many of you are online with us, but let me just have a word for you all online right now. Come back. Join me back. I've been gone for many months, and I am so sorry that I've been gone in a time that is so difficult for the church around the world and so difficult for all our lives and all our stories uh, back in our own homes. It's a difficult season uh, in this world, and I'm sorry that I've been gone, but I am so thrilled to be back among you uh, today and uh, for the weeks ahead. It's great to see you. Um, you know, many historians and theologians see that the decline of the Western church is picking up speed in this uh, time of COVID and the post-truth era. But the story of our pandemic post-truth era continues to crash into the story of grace and resurrection and redemption in Christ. Amen? They crash together. They collide together. Now, interestingly, and I'd be happy to post some, some uh, articles about this online uh, this afternoon if you want to look. But interestingly, when pondering the, the possibility of Western civilization with its Christian soul cut out as the church declines around the world... Many prominent atheist intellectuals are now willing to say that the survival of Christianity is essential for the survival of Western civilization. That's amazing, isn't it? Because atheism, they would say, does not have the moral center to withstand the assaults on human thriving in this world. Only Christianity has the moral center for that. Now, these prominent atheist intellectuals are willing to say, therefore, that we as a community need Christ. What they're not willing to say, of course, is I need Christ. But we'll get them there. Now, the bad news is, Corey, that this realization comes when the, the days are terribly difficult for the church worldwide. 
But the good news, Grace City, is still to be found in Christ that was established on that first Easter Sunday. G.K. Chesterton, one of my fave theologians, says it this way, Christendom has had a series of revolutions, and in each one of them, Christianity has died. It's died many times, but it has always risen again, for it had a God who knew the way out of the grave. Somebody say amen to that. Now, in this era, as, as these stories of unbelief versus belief are crashing into one another, John, I'm thrilled to preach from Luke chapter 19 that Bunty just read from the title today, When Stories Collide. When Stories Collide. Church, it will be a long time before I uh, spell sh the word chauffeur incorrectly. And that's because when I was in fifth grade, I lost a county spelling bee in the final round to a student from another school, <laughs> to a student from another school, because I spelled the word chauffeur incorrectly. Who knew there was a, another U before the final R? And I will never forget how to spell chauffeur. And Grace City, here's the deal. We, we learn most of the foundational things that we remember and care about, not, not so much through success, but through a collision with disappointment and failure. Just about anything worth learning uh, is best learned through the inevitable life crashes that we experience that come our way. So let's look at Zach's story, and I'm going to call him Zach and Zacchaeus interchangeably. You'll know who I'm talking about. Zacchaeus is just a mouthful after a while. So welcome to Zach. But Zacchaeus, his name is, is enough to elicit a smile. If you went to Sunday school, you might remember him as sort of a cartoon character, right? As children, we actually sang songs about him in my Sunday school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. And he became this laughed about, smiley. We drew pictures of him, and we laughed at his predicament up in a tree. But church, he's a real human. And his story is such a human story. Short man scrambling up a tree to see Jesus. And every one of us, all of us have known this kind of emotional and spiritual burden at some point in our faith journey. Some of you here today know what it's like to feel like Zacchaeus in this predicament. I mean, even if you're physically tall, any one of us can identify with Luke's words in verse 3 of chapter 19. Take a look at it online if you're at home. It says, Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. All of us know what, at some point in our faith journey, we know what it's like to feel blocked, to feel outside, to feel underneath, to feel small, even when it comes to our friendship with God. Because when others seem so much closer, so much more privileged, so much more blessed, so much more knowledgeable, so much more worthy of friendship with God, we can feel like we should just recede into the background. We should take a position in a tree where no one can see us because we're not quite worthy enough. We all know what that feels like because it can feel hard to see the Savior or to be seen by the Savior. Amen? But the story of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus is one of the most compelling stories in the entire New Testament because it introduces the notion, the sweeping notion, that when it comes to our story, God will stop at nothing less than the total transformation of who we are. He is after a complete rewrite of our story. The setting here is significant compared to the, most, most of the ancient Near East. Jericho was a, vener, a, a veritable Eden in those days. 
It was an oasis of date palms and balsam groves. It, was, it lay along the great caravan routes. It exported its products, especially balsam, all over the known world. There was even a day when, when Mark Antony, and I think this was around 40 BC, you can check me on that, but I think I got the date right. Around 40 BC, Mark Antony presented Jericho as a gift to Cleopatra. Imagine that. Here's a city for you. And he threw in Arabia, but Jericho was the jewel in that gift. So that's Jericho, and Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector for the Roman government in this prosperous city. He probably had a staff of junior collectors because it was a large city, and he was very possibly the most hated man in all of Jericho because he was a traitor, and he was working for the occupying forces. He and his associates could, could stop a person in Jericho and assess the emperor's tax on nearly everything in his or her possession. A cart, for instance, could be taxed for the merchandise it carried, it could be taxed for the animal that pulled it, and it could be taxed for each wheel on the cart. And it could go on and on. Imagine. So Zacchaeus would send to Rome a prescribed portion of his collections, but anything over that amount, he was free to keep. Imagine the possibilities. Free to keep anything over. Our text declares in verse, the last part of verse 2, Take a look. He was wealthy. And it, it, it says that as if it were some kind of accusation. And it was. It was an accusation. If, if you apply critical class theory to Roman law, it reveals an institutional design that was ripe for systemic abuse. Zacchaeus was a prime participant in a system that legally, legally allowed him to thrive at the expense of others. Are you with me? Can you imagine how much he was hated? Now, the money was nice for Zacchaeus, and he no doubt had fellowship with, with others who shared his kind of privilege with the Roman government. But Zacchaeus, whose name means the pure one, his name means the righteous one, had turned his name into a standing object of hatred among his own people. And then comes Jesus. Think back to when you first met Jesus. Then comes Jesus. And stories collide. Stories collide. Because that's when miracles happen. Listen, the word is out in Jericho that Jesus, who's coming to town, is different. He's coming to town with a reputation for being comfortable with those on the fringes of society. Imagine that. Children, women, foreigners, Gentiles, the sick, the lame, the blind, and even, yes, even tax collectors. It's well known by this time that he tells stories, parables, where the tax collector is the hero, and the religious establishment is the villain. As a matter of fact, in the preceding chapter, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable. Two men are going up to the temple to pray, Jesus tells the story. One is a Pharisee, the other is a tax collector. The Pharisee goes up to pray and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like that person over there, that tax collector over there. Thank you that I'm not like him. Thank you that I do this and this and this and this for you. Thank you for that. And the tax collector, Jesus says the tax collector gets up to pray and he raises his hands to heaven and says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus ends the story with this. I tell you, that man, that tax collector, was the one who was justified before the Lord as they left the temple. Of course, Zacchaeus wants to see this Jesus who tells stories like that. So Jesus is worth 
checking out. But that was easier said than done for Zach. He was short. He was around five feet, t feet tall, we think. He was trying to squeeze, and if he were to try to squeeze through the crowd to the front, uh, it would guarantee that elbows would fly when the people of Jericho found Zacchaeus in the crowd. His only chance was to race ahead of the crowd, find a tree, in this case a sycamore tree with low spreading branches, which would afford a ringside view of the way Jesus would come. And he waits there as Jesus comes around the corner, and Zach's story will never be the same. Because though he climbs a tree to see the Lord, it is the Lord who sees him. And that's the way our stories roll. It's the Lord who finds us. Jesus does three things here that crash into our story, into Zacchaeus' story, into your story and mine. And the first is this. It's recognition. It's recognition. Take a look at the text, verse 5. Zacchaeus... He says, come down immediately. Zacchaeus, he calls him out by name. They've never met. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. He recognizes you and me and Zacchaeus. And I love this story because it demonstrates that the open door of God, the welcoming embrace of God is real, it's authentic, and it is accessible. And if you're here today wondering if God is accessible, check this story out. He's here for you. It's good news for somebody here today. Luke reports that Zach wastes no time climbing down from that tree. Look at verse 6. It says he welcomed him gladly. And I'm sure he did because no one called for Zacchaeus unless it was to complain or condemn or use him for their own ends if they possibly could. But listen, he could have stayed up on that tree, right? He could have. Plenty of people do. You might be here today, kind of like Zacchaeus, checking it out. You found a church on the water, the breeze is blowing, the music is playing. You're sitting on the edges and you say, I'm just going to check this out. And you may be tempted to just stay there and keep checking it out without ever coming down. This story rewrites your story potentially to say, come on down. Zacchaeus comes down. I get it. It's much easier to go on with our life and continue with our agenda than to allow our Messiah to invite himself to our house, which he's about to do, and reach into our soul. That's risky business, right? And we'll see why here in a minute. But Zach takes the chance. I encourage all of you to take the chance, too. He takes a chance despite immediate pushback, by the way. Do you see it? Luke says that the residents of Jericho in verse 7 begin to mutter. Mutter. I love that word. M-U-T-T. -T, not mutter. M-U-D-D. -D, mutter. They're so discontented, Corey, that Jesus would go to the house uh, of a hated individual. And that sounds right. We're pretty good at muttering, aren't we? Somebody say, yeah, we are. We're pretty good at muttering in our discontent over any attention paid to hated others, for instance. Like, we don't like that very much. Jesus, Jesus doesn't care that we don't like it. But I'm about to steal the thunder from my second point, and here it is. Jesus recognizes us, but then Jesus brings a request he invites, he invites, he brings us a request. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Verse 5. I must stay at your house today. It is galactically fascinating to me, Grace City, that Jesus invites himself to stay at Zach's house. I've never invited myself to stay at a stranger's house before. I've never done that. I might try it. And this sent sentence... I must stay at your house. It's not to imply dinner and cocktails. We often say, oh, he's inviting himself to dinner. It's much bigger than that. It's much closer to John 1.14 that says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This word stay, this re regarding, regarding place, this sentence, oikomimeno in Greek, it just is about, it says to remain when it comes to place, to abide. 
not to depart, to continue to be present. I'm reading from the lexicon. This isn't Bob making this up. Regarding persons, it means this. I must stay at your house. It means to last, to endure, and to remain as one with you. This is a big request of Jesus. I must stay at your house, Bob, Ling, Corey, Angie. I must stay at your house, Rashima. And it means he's taking up residence. Jesus means to stay. He's not only after Zach's soul. He's after his work, his business, his systems, his Roman bosses, his Jewish overseers, his entire life, everything. He's coming for Zach's house, his whole household. And he won't settle for anything less. He's coming for the house. He's in the house. What do you mean? What do you mean, Bob? Okay, listen. Under Roman law and under Jewish oversight, Zach was not doing anything wrong or illegal as a tax collector. He was within the rules of the day. He simply occupied a place of advantage where he was allowed to take advantage of others for his advantage. Consciously or unconsciously, I'm not sure it matters, but Zach could defend the system and his place in it. It was his house. It was his house. And notice this text doesn't say he quit his job as a tax collector after verse 10. He doesn't quit. As best we know, he's still a tax collector after verse 10. Matter of fact, John the Baptist in, in Luke chapter 3 talks, to, tax collectors are brought for baptism, and his, his disciples, John's disciples say, what should we do with these tax collectors? He says, bring them to me. He says, stop stealing. And then he baptizes them. He brings soldiers up, by the way. He says, stop stealing. And he baptizes them. So Zach isn't, isn't quitting, but his story changes after Jesus arrives. The text shows, does show that Jesus, after Jesus, Zach owns his part in a sinful system that promoted the oppression of others, and Zach changes the rules in Christ. We'll see that in a minute. But first, church, listen. Scripture tells me a reality that I don't like but must learn to embrace. I am Zacchaeus. Are you with me? Nod your heads if you get it. I'm Zacchaeus, and Jesus is coming for me in my house. What do I mean? Well, here's just one. My house, my house, benefits from systems that cater to me and treat Corey like he's invisible. Now, this doesn't mean that I should quit being white or somehow feel bad about being white, but it does mean I give my house to Jesus and do everything I can in Christ to call my house to change the rules of a system that will continue to oppress others if I or we stand idly by. Change the house, Bob. Jesus wants my house. And you say, well, I don't know what to do with that, Bob. Listen, we start a process when Jesus comes to our house. We start a process. Don't know what to do. There's stuff to do this week. You can join the flavor groups thing that's been going on here to bring people together to listen across the lines that divide us. It's phenomenal. And the more of you that actually will take us up on that, if, you're, if you haven't begun, you can begin Tuesday night. And then we're all going to be together after church here, right over there next Sunday, to talk across those lines that divide us. We start and we step out to change the house. Listen, it's not just Bob. Jesus comes to Corey's house. He wants Corey's house too. 
Invite Corey to coffee and ask him about that. Ask him what it means when Jesus took up residence in his Baltimore house in Corey's spirit. Ask him about We Are Us and why Corey is calling the black men of Baltimore in Jesus' name to change the Baltimore house before the next violent act occurs. Ask him about that. And then ask him how you can help. Stand in, in the gap for the Baltimore house. I can give hundreds of examples, church, of sinful structures, the very houses that we get trapped in, but we're too busy protecting ourselves, aren't we? Nod your heads if you get it. We're, we love to protect ourselves, kind of like the Pharisee. God, I thank you I'm not that bad like that guy. I'm, I'm doing this and this, and I'm trying so hard, and Lord, you must love me for that. And Jesus is saying, just own, own it. Sorry, I moved out of camera there. Just own it. It's really pretty simple. It's, it's hard on our heart, but it's really pretty simple. We so want to defend ourselves like that Pharisee praying. But Scripture and Jesus, they so want us to surrender our house. Like Zach, surrender. Corey taught us years ago, when you raise your hands in worship, it's, it's not to say, look at me, I'm great, right? It's to say, I surrender. Have mercy. That's what we're doing when we raise our hands. Not to, and, and listen... Jesus is asking Zach here, we'll see in a minute, to, to acknowledge his participation as an individual and corporately in a sinful system. And he doesn't do it to make us feel bad. He doesn't do it to, 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 to make us, you know, cry. He does it so that we can understand fully what it is to embrace the sacrifice of Christ for our sin and motivate us to change the rules for the good of others, just as he did for us. He changed the rules so that you could sit with him at his table. You know that, right? He changed the law so you could sit with him. I'll say more about that in a minute when we end, but here's the theology behind what's going on with Zach and me and Corey and all of us in this room. Apart from Christ, all of us are under the power of sin, individually and corporately. I'm not making that up. That's Paul's words in Romans chapter 3. And just after he says we're all under the power of sin, look at what he says in Romans 3, 10 and 12. Take a look on your screen and take a look in your Bibles here. And he's speaking in the context of Jews and Gentile, early Christian Jews and early Christian Gentiles. And he's, he's taking on Peter in other parts of, of, of his letters, but he's saying the Jewish early Christians have an advantage. They have a privilege and they need to surrender it. And they need to quit looking down on Gentile Christians because he says this about all of them, all of them and all of us today. There is no one who is righteous. Not even one. Not even one. There's no one who has understanding. Do you get the no one? Are you, can you subscribe to the no one? It's about me, and it's about you. He says there's no one who seeks God. There's no one who shows kindness. Not even one. So church, we are all Zacchaeus. And Jesus is requesting to stay in our house. He wants our house and everything that we have. He wants all of it, every room. He won't settle for less. He won't settle for part. If we open the door and surrender, the rules of our house will change. They will. We don't know in detail what happened at Zach's house, but we see the outcomes. And they're all, all, each of them about community. Here's what it looks like when you say yes to Jesus' request. One final fascinating point that captures the imagination. Jesus recognizes us. He makes a request of us to stay at our house. And then, point three, he rewrites our story. Zacchaeus says in verse 8, take a look. Look, Lord, here and now, this is hard. I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, 
I will pay back four times the amount. Remember, he's not involved in anything legal. There's no legal substance to this. But in his collision with Jesus, Zacchaeus makes a double-sided pledge for his house, one for his future and one for his past on this day. The first is generosity. Going forward in the future, he will give half his possessions to the poor. This man had made a living legally cheating others. And suddenly, after one meal with Jesus, he's giving money away like he's, he's the, the director of the United Way of Jericho. And as pastor, I've seen this time and time again. When Christ takes up residence in our life, we become generous. In our future, giving becomes an opportunity, not a requirement. And you, Grace City, look around the room. You are all a phenomenal example of the spirit of generosity in Jesus Christ. You have held this church together for 12 years. You've held it together in the time of COVID. If you're new here, jump on that generosity bandwagon. Like churches around the world, we're in a pressing time. We need to come together and be generous together. And we know we'll count on you because you've always been that. So jump on in. But there's more. Look at the second part of Zach's pledge. To repair the past. He pledges to repair the past. Be generous in the future, but now he's repairing the past. I will return any stolen funds four times over. Imagine that. You can say it with me. Say it with me. Zach is paying reparations. Somebody say reparations. It's not a bad word. He's paying reparations. This is a biblical principle, church, but we are largely incompetent when it comes to repair. We don't like it. We'd rather defend ourselves like the Pharisee at prayer. And you should know that Jewish law required reparations. Reparations for past harm, even generational harm. I'll be glad to go over the scriptures with that with you. But Jewish law, you should know also, only required restitution of the money plus 20%. But after he met Jesus, Zach thought that 400% reparations were more appropriate. Can you imagine? It's dangerous to have Jesus stay at your house, isn't it? <laughs> you see, it's, he not only pushes us towards a generous future, we kind of get that, we're fluent with that, we're okay with that, but he pushes us to repair a harmful past. We're not very good at that. He pushes the community to repair a harmful past. Get inside this with me for a minute and take this on yourself. What formed Zach to be less of a neighbor and more of a financial predator before he met Jesus? What do you think? Greed, of course, fed Zacchaeus. But church, greed takes many forms, doesn't it? We're all hungry for something to make us feel good, something to make us look good, something to sustain our resources or sustain our egos. And, and once again, i got to tell you, I'm guilty too. I am Zacchaeus too. I have brought damage to people, and I have needed to make restitution and do my part to rewrite their story and mine. And in the same way, but times a thousand, like I'll never forget how to spell chauffeur again, C-H-A-U-F-F-E-U-R. I'll never forget that because I blew it. I'll never forget when I've blown it with people and I've hurt them, and it will change me forever. I'll never forget. Listen, Great City, let's never brush aside like the Pharisee praying in the temple. Let's never brush aside our own character issues and rationale for doing what we do. There's a thousand and one reasons that we can do things to bring harm. And it's rarely about doing evil. It's most often about some outcome that makes us feel good or look good or sustain an advantage. So, so I am glad today, and I hope you're glad, for the reverse invitation of Jesus. I must stay at your house, Bob. And when I arrive, I want it all. I want the deed to your house. 
And he's saying it to you. Who, who will say yes to Jesus staying at their house today? Go ahead. Raise it. Who will say yes? It's really, it's hard, but it's the best there is. Do you have something better to do with your house? Only he, church, can free our soul. Only he brings the capacity where we can own and admit our guilt individually and corporately, embrace his grace, and accomplish his work on earth as it is in heaven. That's our job. In the end, in the end, take a look. Jesus was absolutely delighted, absolutely delighted with Zacchaeus. He says this, today salvation has come to this house. And since salvation is his specialty, we can assume that he was right. But Jesus declared his salvation even before any reparative work was done. Imagine. Here's the deal. When, when our story collides with Jesus' story, his rewrite of our story, salvation happens both in a snap and, and it's ongoing too. It will change your story today and go on changing you tomorrow. Are you with me? It's both a place and a process. It's a seat at God's table right now, and it's a part in God's play tomorrow. Are you with me? Theologian Paul Scherer, describing Zach's story, declares that this meeting with Jesus redeemed Zacchaeus' past, transformed his present, and redirected his future. It's truly a rewrite, Grace City. And church, this is what God wants to do with all of us, and he will settle for nothing less. Amen? As the worship team comes up, I want to I invite you to think about this. Grace City, Jesus is coming to Baltimore. I know you want to say, oh, he's already here, but I get it. But just put yourself in the story for a minute. In this next year, in this weird era, Jesus is coming to Baltimore to seek and save and change our city. One person, one street, one neighborhood, one block at a time. Will you climb a tree? I'm metaphorical now, okay? Stay with me. I mean, you can climb a real tree if you want. I'd like to see the pictures. But will you climb a tree this week and watch to see what Jesus is up to when he comes to town? He will no doubt recognize you and call you down. He will no doubt say to you, Marjorie, I want to stay at your house. I must stay at your house, Mark and Marjorie. Mary Lou, I must stay at your house. He'll rewrite your story in the end. Zach's story goes from his sycamore tree to the throne room of God, seated with Jesus. Just a few weeks later, Jesus climbs up on a different tree where he owned our sin for our sake. He was crucified on that tree. He died and he was buried. But Grace City, here's the good news. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the tomb. On the third day of that story, he rewrote the story of our death, our death, into life forever at the right hand of God the Father. And he says to you and me, welcome home, worthy one. You have a place here. We're going to, let's stand, I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing worthy. And I want you to think as you pray with me about that invitation. Just put your name in. Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house today. Are you willing to let him in? God, we too need you to redeem our past and transform our present and redirect our future. Thank you for crashing into each one of us to rewrite our story. Thank you for your wind of your Holy Spirit crashing into this place and knocking tables over right now. Lord, help me listen. Help me surrender. Make me generous tomorrow. Help me repair yesterday. 
we commit to being yours this day. We pray in Jesus' name.